Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, I'm Jason Greenblatt, and this is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. This episode is the fourth in a series this week about Afghanistan. In this episode, I speak with Greg Lagana, currently an executive vice president at Corvus Communications. Greg spent four years working in the White House as a member of the Coalition Information Center staff, and then as associate director of the Office of Global Communications. Greg served for more than two decades in the U.S. Foreign Service in public diplomacy, public affairs, and political administrative positions with the U.S. Information Agency and the State Department. Please note that this interview was recorded prior to the terrible attack in Kabul on August 26th, in which at least 13 U.S. service members, each an American hero, were murdered by bloodthirsty terrorists, and at least 18 U.S. service members, also American heroes, were injured, and many Afghan civilians were murdered and wounded as well, including men, women, and children. I'm Jason Greenblatt, and this is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Greg, thank you so much for joining me. I want to get your insight on how did we get here 20 years after entering Afghanistan? What was the mission supposed to be, and how did it morph, and where are we now? Well, I think, first of all, I don't know that there were any really great policy options for Afghanistan, but I think... Traditionally, American foreign policy is driven by two forces, and sometimes they're in balance and sometimes they get out of balance. One is the pursuit of our national interests, security, our our security and political interests, our, um, our economic and commercial interests, and our domestic political interests, like, for example, ethnic groups that, you know, are interested in what's happened in the country where they hail from. The other is idealism, because... We're a country, we're a people who identify ourselves by our democratic ideals and not by 2,000 years of shared history, shared culture, and shared language. So idealism has always been a part of American foreign policy. We like to export democracy. We like to feel like we're liberators. We like to be the good guys. And Europeans used to kind of patronize us about, oh, you Americans are so idealistic. You don't really pursue your national interests. But we have, uh, you know, domestic forces that, that... that force us to, to that, that, that impel us to be more idealistic. In Afghanistan, those two things came together perfectly because we were attacked from Afghanistan and the Taliban were truly, truly evil in the eyes of their fanatics. They didn't allow music. They didn't allow kite flying. They didn't allow girls to go to school. They stoned people for adultery. They were a throwback to the, to the early Middle Ages that were before. So those two things came together really pretty nicely. And for a while, Americans can sustain that. But then there's this other element of the, of, of that, that, that affects the United States. And that is that as a people, we see problems that need to be fixed. And we see them in the world. We see a problem in the world and we think we can fix it. We're a can-do people. 
We carved a country out of a wilderness that affects us. So there's a problem in Afghanistan. Well, we can fix that. Um, and actually, we did a pretty good job for on some things. You know, the, the economy is better. Education is better. Health is better. The infrastructure is better. But we're dealing with people in a part of the world who don't see see problem see themselves in problems that need to be fixed. They see situations that need to be managed, and they've been managing these for a long, long time. That's what we're dealing with in Afghanistan. And the longer something takes, the longer it takes us to fix the problem, the more support for that problem erodes in the United States, and the greater their strength is. That affects the Taliban. It also affects countries like Pakistan, where we've had problems the Pakistanis support the Taliban. Why? They're managing a situation with India. They're managing a situation with China. They know that over the long term, we're hemmed in by our global national interests, and they're not going to ever pay a price for, for betraying us by, by supporting the Taliban because our interests are too broad. So our, the, our very size and the breadth of our interests makes us sort of like, like Gulliver in Lilliput. We're constrained by all these ropes. and We can't move. So we've lost about two and a half thousand American lives. Tens of thousands of Americans have been injured over the last 20 years. I've read reports that we spent over 86 billion, some reports that say over a trillion dollars trying to fix Afghanistan. Uh, now we're left with about, uh, you know, the numbers changed because they got out some Americans, thankfully, yesterday, but about 15,000 Americans are stranded there. Um, and that doesn't even uh, include the 50 to 65,000 or some but that number much higher, Afghans and their families who helped the United States and, and its allies. Is there a, a fix to this? Meaning, you know, did President Biden make the right decision, whether or not he executed it well, was it the right decision to leave Afghanistan? I think in a way it was the inevitable decision to leave Afghanistan. And I think, and there are, there are forces on both sides of the political aisle that wanted to leave Afghanistan and we just couldn't figure out, and there is no, the fact is there's no clean way to do it. I think though, I, I, so I, I, think, I think eventually we had to leave. I think we had to recognize that there were limits to what we could fix, that we could, we could fix the infrastructure, we could make healthcare better, we could make people freer as long as they lived under government control, but we couldn't penetrate um, uh, we, we couldn't really penetrate the culture in the countryside that was driving all this opposition. And that was going to, that was never, ever, ever going to happen. Uh, now, I think the execution of it, uh, of this is bad over three of, of the withdrawal. I, I think it actually started, it, it actually started two, three administrations ago <laughs> because we've been talking about getting out. Uh, we talked about it under in the Obama administration. We really talked about it under the Trump administration. So the Taliban, like, like I said, they're in this for the long term. They're managing it. They're saying the Americans didn't last in Vietnam. They never last anywhere. We'll outlast them. We live here. They're already talking about getting out. Then, you know, once President Trump sort of basically said, we're getting out of there. We are getting out of there. And he cut the Afghan government out of the negotiations. That was it. You know, that was it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was inevitable. 
it was probably the right decision. Um, I think we we gave up too much at the beginning because the fact is nobody negotiates for something that they can get for nothing. And the Taliban knew that they could get us to go out without really negotiating. All they were really doing was buying time and and, nego and kind of negotiating the terms of their takeover, which were all which were all in their favor, really. So you touched on American thinking earlier in our conversation, but let's elaborate a little bit. Americans see the world very differently from the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And I, I have no doubt that that played into this um, Afghanistan 20-year problem in so many different ways. Tell me how you think Americans see things differently and why maybe we were mistaken in thinking we could fix everything. Well, um, for one thing, again, I, I, you know, uh, we are we are a people, first of all, who are who who um, identify ourselves by our democratic system that that affects us. We also are we're like the quintessential Western culture. You take take Western Europe, you put it in a completely new environment, you know, basic, not just Western Europe, but really Protestant Western Europe. We you know, we were we were colonized by um by products of the Reformation and Protestant thinking in the 17th century. You know, contrast that with Latin America colonized by, by 15th, 16th century Catholics with a Catholic state of mind rather than a Protestant state of mind. And so we're driven by notions of personal responsibility, personal accountability. Um, we believe in individual freedom. Uh, those things drive us. We also carved this country out of the wilderness. So that gives us the, the idea that we are always responsible. We can do everything. You know, we can do anything we want. We're also in a very vast country. We have a hard time sometimes understanding the dynamics of smaller countries where family, I mean, now obviously families are important in this country too. We have dynasty families, but in small countries, in small countries where elites are intimately tied, we have a hard time explaining, understanding all that. So there are there are many, you know, many many other factors, um, and um, uh, but but uh, but one is that that we control events, and that is typically Western. That we can control events, whereas non-Western cultures really see events controlling them, uh, and so. Uh, and again, again, I think our, our frontier experience has a lot to do with that. So um, that's that leads to this situation where we think we can fix things, and they think they have to manage them. I mean, you look at the, something like the Middle East. They've been to to you know to to the people who live in the Middle East, to the Saudis, to the Emiratis, to the Jordanians. To you know, that's not a problem that began with the Balfour Declaration. That's been going on for 2000 years they've been things have gone back and forth you know they um the you know the 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 ottomans were there there were different kingdoms the ottomans were there the, the british were there and they're going to be there they're going to be there at the end they just need to keep managing this would they like to have a better solution yeah they would but they're not they're not driven to it like we are they'll support us as we as we you know kind of try to get it done but they, they see this as being longer term so what's your take on what Americans think now 
and, and I want to ask that in two parts. One is, did most Americans support the departure from Afghanistan? And the second is, now having seen how it unfolded, and you know, we could debate all day long what went wrong and how it went wrong, and lots of people will be doing that over the coming months and maybe even years. But now that we've seen the danger to Afghanistan, to all the people of Afghanistan who want a better life, women, etc., where do you think America is after this horrendous week or so? Well, we need to look very seriously at, at the limits of our ability as a great power. It's, it's no longer the end of World War II where uh, we were dominant and the rest of the world was, was prostrate. Um, you know, Afghanistan is not Japan. We could rebuild Japan. It was a developed country with a different culture and they were completely defeated. We could rebuild Europe. Same situation, develop societies uh, with, a, with a similar culture to ours. So I think we're seeing the, we're seeing the limits of our ability to really, to really, truly, truly, truly change things in the world. So that will force us, I think, to decide what we can live with and what we can't. It's really hard to live with an oppressive regime like, like North Korea. We didn't invade North Korea. Why? Because it's too costly and it's not worth the price. It would it would it would uh, it would um, energize the Chinese in a way we don't want. You know, um, why don't we invade Cuba? Well, we we sort of tried that, <laughs> and again, it's not worth it. Too costly. But we went into Afghanistan. We have to. Sometimes we do things because we can do it. That's why we invaded Grenada. It was easy. It was easy. We could go in and invade Grenada. We could do that because we have the ability to do that. And I think we have to. We'll have to accept the limits. We'll also have to accept when we. And that's on our practical side. I remember we talked about the practical and the idealistic. On the idealistic side, we have to take a really hard look at what we can live with. It's going to be really hard for Americans to see what happens in Afghanistan. Um, after all the progress that's been made, we had, I think we were justifiably proud of the sort of the liberation aspect of, of our policy. But um, it, uh, much will depend on how the Taliban behave. And, and I, I also, I think it's, it's a mistake for people to view the Taliban as monolithic. I know one of, our, one of our cultural norms is that Americans, you know, we don't have a very easy time dealing with ambiguity. You live in other parts of the world, people deal with ambiguity very easily. I mean, I lived in Italy for four years, but Western culture, they deal, the Italians deal with ambiguity pretty nicely. All you have to do is live in Rome. You know, Rome was a city of a million people 2,000 years ago. You know, they know how to get along. You know, they know how to, how to make things work. We don't deal with ambiguity very well. We like our villains evil, and we like our heroes pure. And uh, I think it would be a mistake to think that the Taliban are monolithic. Uh, it's a mistake to think that there aren't people in the Taliban who are saying, hey, wait a minute, we really made some mistakes last time. Maybe we should go easy on the music playing and the kite flying. Maybe women, yeah, they should be covered, but they don't have to cover their faces. I'm okay with stoning adulterers, but you know, <laughs> uh, you know, we shouldn't be defacing monuments and stuff like that. We need to allow a little more freedom or else we're gonna be in the same situation we were in before. I'm not saying that they're moderates. I'm saying that there are probably people in the Taliban who are less fanatic. You know, we, that's another thing. And you know, we're always looking for the moderates. We're always looking for people who think like us. There aren't people in the Taliban who think like us. But there may be people in the Taliban who 
are less fanatical. And in the and 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 you know we used to we saw that in the Soviet Union when Gorbachev came to the fore. You know that there was debate inside the Soviet Union. There were people who said, "Hey, wait a minute! The United States really isn't threatening us. They feel threatened by us. We need to we need to work with them." Um, I, I do, th but I mean that's a whole other discussion of how we got there because I think I think our our tough stand against the Soviets was what brought that out. I think without without Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and the Pope, Pope John Paul II, you don't have a Gorbachev. But but um, but uh, much will depend, I think, on how the Taliban behave, how they react to these protests, how crazy they seem to Americans. But I don't think that'll take us back there. I think, I think we will sit back and watch as we watched the, um, the Iron Curtain fall on Eastern Europe, as we watched Cuba you know, become a closed society. Um, you know, there are certain that we're seeing the limits of what we, we reasonably can achieve. And do you think our friends and allies in the region and elsewhere, including Europe, stepped up to the plate to this point to help us try to achieve something good? And what will their role be moving forward? I'm not sure. I mean, I, look, you know, the NATO, I think, you know, there were there was some legitimate criticism of NATO. The, the, you know, our, 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 most of our allies, except for the except for the, the like the Baltics, you know, the Baltics, of course, really, really stepped up. Uh, they wanted to join NATO because they wanted that Article 10 guarantee against so against Russia. There was some legitimate criticism that they weren't contributing enough, but they really did contribute in Afghanistan. And it was the very first time we ever invoked Article 10. So we always figured Article 10 would be invoked because the Europeans were threatened and we would have to go in. But it was just the opposite. They, you know, we invoked it. They, they supported us in Afghanistan. And, and it was the first it was the first uh, op NATO operation outside Europe. So outside the, the Europe North Atlantic area. So uh, I think they did. Um, I think they did, and they they took their casualties, and it was a, it was a, it was shared. Uh, I think you know, frankly, I think there are always strong doubts about the United States' ability to with, to withstand to to commit for the long term. And there's always there's always that that doubt in the back of the mind of of every U.S. ally that eventually the U.S. could drop them because, you know, we we're a democratic country. You know, you know, presidents get elected, members of Congress get elected. Our interests are defined by what the people decide. And if the people decide that our greater interests are in coming home rather than in 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 than in continuing to be in Afghanistan, that's what we'll decide. So, um, you know, in many ways, it's you know, it, it, you know, dem you know, democracy is kind of messy, but. Uh, you know, it's it, it's it, it's the wisest form. And, and you know, but but countries do understand that a, co a commitment from the United States may or may not be something the U.S. can 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 keep. Understanding what you said about less fanatical Taliban may exist, and you know, then of course, can they rise to the top and and morph and change for the better? Is your gut, though, that at least for the moment and for the unforeseeable future, the people of Afghanistan are going to be back to where they were under the brutal rule of the Taliban? For the most part, I would think so. I mean, 
I, I actually think they'll probably be less. It'll probably be less brutal. Um, I, I, I mean, I do think they probably learned some lessons, and they've got a lot of other people whispering in their ear. The Pakistanis are talking to them. I think we can assume the Saudis are talking to them. I think we can assume the Iranians are talking to them. And I think they're probably all saying, look, I mean, the, the Iranians are saying, yes, Americans, the great Satan, but you know what, you know, tone it down. You, you have to remember too, that, that the Taliban think, think the Iranians are, are, um, are heretics and apostates because they're Shia, you know, <laughs> because, you know, because they portray images and things like that. But, uh, uh, but I think, um, I think a number of countries will be, will be advising the Taliban to go easy and we'll see how they how they take that advice I, I would assume also I'd have to assume from my experience that we're talking to all those governments and 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 encouraging them strongly to use their influence with the Taliban to uh, to um, to be less crazy basically to be less fanatical do you think we were completely unprepared for our departure? Was it a misstep? Was it um, bad intelligence, lack of listening to intelligence, just an absolute desire to get out, contingency plans that did exist and were snapped in right away as soon as there were problems? What's your take? I always hesitate to judge because I, I was judged when we were in the White House and you know a lot of the news media judges quickly, harshly, sometimes accurately, sometimes based on leakers or people who have an agenda. Yeah. So I want to be careful with how I ask the question, but from what you've seen, observed, know your experience, what do you think really happened? You know, it's, I've been reading just as you have, and I'm, you're seeing all of these, uh, you know, all of these reports coming out about, you know, the jet, they didn't live, no, jet, the, the, uh, the Pentagon wasn't listened to the state department predicted that this, 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 uh, uh collapse would be swift. Um, I, I actually suspect it was just something that politically the White House wanted to get done and it had to get done. And so they did. I mean, look, you know, the Pentagon, one thing the Pentagon does is plan. I mean, the Pentagon plans. They probably have contingencies to invade Canada, you know, just, I mean, they never use them, but they have contingencies for everywhere. Every day plan. It's hard to say why everybody knew there would be this. It seems clear everybody knew. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that Zhao didn't understand. I mean, I they understand completely that, that what he was negotiating was a Taliban takeover. He knows Afghanistan. You know, he's he knows Afghanistan. He knows the Taliban. He knows them. I mean, he knows really well. And he's a really, really smart guy that that the, the job he was given was probably distasteful to him. And, and that he was, he was negotiating basically a swift departure and a swift takeover, that, that the Taliban, they're not going to share power. They're not going to, um, they're not going to participate in, you know, in elections and things like that because they don't believe it. You know, we, again, we can't look at people as if they're like us. They didn't believe in any of it. And why should they? Why should they? If we're gonna leave and, and, and leave the field clear to them, why should they negotiate with the government and share power? The U.S. already cut them out of the negotiating process. So it was, it was really a foregone conclusion they were going to take over. How swift? To me, whether it was two weeks or two months is almost irrelevant. We knew it was going to be swift because, because the psychological factor is so strong 
we were there for 21 years. We trained them. We were behind them. And now we're leaving. And they're saying, oh, crap. The Americans are leaving. We're here all by Imagine yourself in that situation. And they probably didn't have the leadership to say, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to stand on our own. I, I think we probably should have um, negotiated something. First of all, we should have never given us, we should have never provided a deadline, not Trump, not Biden, anybody, because, you know, we should have never given a deadline. And number and, and number two, we should have never, if we really wanted to, to, um, to, to have anything other than a swift Taliban takeover, we should have, we should have uh, our, our departure should have been uh, predicated on, on, on certain things happening on the ground. So that, you know, we, but, but I, I just, again, it may have been, it may have been that we, we just realized that wiser heads in the government realized, you know what, we can negotiate this till kingdom come. And eventually once we leave, no matter what we negotiate, no matter how, how, how the Taliban behave in the short term to get us out of the country, as soon as we leave, they're going to rearm and take over because we're not there. They are and we're not. Yes, I think I think we handled the negotiations wrong, but it may be that it wouldn't have made a difference anyway. Greg Langana, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, Jason. I really appreciated Greg Lagana joining me to discuss American foreign policy, American idealism, why we were in Afghanistan, America's desire to fix things and problems around the world, and whether we can really fix those things, whether we could really control things, or are some things just destined to be managed by those who live there. If you found this podcast informative, please do share it and my other podcasts with your friends and family. You can listen to The Diplomat on Apple, Spotify, and wherever podcasts can be heard. I'm Jason Greenblatt, and this is The Diplomat. Brought to you by Newsweek. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.